Hello, my name is Oliver Kinner. And I'm Jamie Adams. And I'm Ian McAllister, and this is Brainwaves episode 128, bringing you the best in tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of the 21st of August, 2023. Gen Con breaks attendance record, and gets a bunch of stock stolen, and Wizards comes under fire for AI art. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. Yes, we're starting this episode of Brainwaves with some good news. Gen Con, the, probably one of the biggest, if not the largest, US tabletop gaming show, which is held in Indianapolis in Indiana, uh, is reporting huge record attendance. This year's convention broke attendance records with over 70,000 unique attendees. As reported in Gaming Trend, the show brought in about $75 million for the local economy. The company that runs the convention also announced they would be staying in Indianapolis until 2030. David Hopp, resident of Gen Con, said, The Gen Con attendee experience is continually at the forefront of our decision-making. We are excited to announce that Gen Con will be extending its stay in Indianapolis through 2030. I'm eager to see the continued growth and success that will come from our partnership with a city that has supported us over the last 20 years. Now, Obviously, staying in Indianapolis is uh, controversial, given the uh, legislation that Mike Pence signed in 2015, um, which allows businesses to refuse services to LGBTQ plus people and on religious grounds. I can understand why a convention needs to renew their contract at some point. They can't leave it too late because then you're sort of looking for new places and things and and struggling and, and changing venues isn't easy for an event this large. But of course, at the same time, you were hoping that given how long the legislation has been in place, that maybe decisions would have been made sooner. Of course, it's good to see that the attendance has grown, but uh, staying in that state is obviously, um, yeah, yeah controversial to say the least. Yeah, it leaves all publishers and everyone, like all the companies that attend in a bit of a rough spot. They need to attend Gen Con because it's such a big show, you kind of need to be there. But like there were some that didn't go because of the LGBTQ plus um, legislation that Indiana brought in, and also the the Dobbs the, decision. The, they yeah they they followed that up with some very restrictive Roe versus Wade um, uh, legisl- anti-abortion legislation when that was overturned as well. Yeah. The, the Dobbs decision, some, which allowed yeah. uh, which said that the U.S. Uh, Constitution doesn't confer a right to abortion. Yeah. So yeah, uh, obviously it's going to be controversial for them to stay there, but. Big companies are still going to attend. Most most games companies are going to attend. There was a few that said, no, we're not going to attend it because of those reasons and fair play to them. But yeah, I can see most folk are still, most companies are still going to attend, unfortunately. And they won't be able to force them out for another five years or so anyway. So because mm. they're, they're going to be tied into that location. Continuing with Gen Con News, Jamie. As is to be expected with a show of this size, the event did not go without some issues. As the show was setting up, two individuals got themselves a pallet hitch, wandered into the trade halls, and walked away with $300,000 worth of Magic the Gathering cards. Now, it's not been revealed which company this was stolen from. And the individuals in question were caught on camera and police are now seeking them in relation to the robbery. Thing is, they've been identified as Thomas T.J. Dunbar and Andrew Pearson Glaum, both residents of New York City, New York State. The tabletop game community was quite quick to identify them as designers of a game called Castle Assault. One of the main reasons being, one of the pair was wearing a t-shirt with the name of the game on it. And as of time of recording, the pair remain at large. They say no publicity is bad publicity. (laughs) And I've heard people, mainly me, going, are we comparing them to the Wet Bandits or something? 
But that's not fair because the Wet Bandits were at least somewhat, um, you know, effective until they came across a child. I mean, at the moment, they remain uncaught and they've walked away $300,000 worth of magic cards, so they've been pretty effective so far. What, and not only card. that, didn't their game go up in the BGG hotness charts? Or yeah, it did. And they like reach place one. That, really? And that, dear listeners, is why you should not pay attention to the BGG hotness, because you yeah. do not know why the algorithm has pushed something to the top of it. And in this case, it's because the designers are apparently big, big thieves. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the quality of the game or anything like that. It's just... It's just they are literal yeah. thieves. Lit- yes. I, allegedly. Allegedly, I was going to say. They're, they're allegedly thieves on camera. Yeah, I mean, the police are seeking them for this crime, so I, th- yeah. I think we don't need to say allegedly. Yeah, well, no, wait, no, 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 nothing alleged about it. Right, enough of this. Moving on. Talking of thieves, Wizards of the Coast, publishers of Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons, have once more found themselves in the spotlight of bad publicity. Wizards of the Coast had started to show off pages and art from their forthcoming product for Dungeons & Dragons, Bigby Presents Glory of the Giants. This was on the 5th of August. When some of the art was shown off, many pointed out that it looked a bit odd. A few started to look into this, and it was concluded that the artist had used AI to produce the images. As the controversy grew, the artist in question did admit to using AI to finish off the images. The artist who goes by Shkabidden on Twitter posted this. There was recent controversy on where these illustrations I made were AI generated. AI was used in the process to generate certain details or polish and editing. To shine some light on the process, I'm attaching earlier version of the illustrations before AI had been applied to enhance details. As you can see, a lot of painted elements were enhanced with AI rather than generated from ground up. Their Twitter bio reads, Deconstruction of the flesh through painting and AI. On the 6th of August, Wizards of the Coast put out an official statement, saying, Today we became aware that an artist used AI to create artwork for the upcoming book Bigby Presents Glory of the Giants. We have worked with this artist since 2014, and he's put years of work into books we all love. While we weren't aware of the artist's choice to use AI in the creation process for these commissioned pieces, we have discussed with him, and he will not use AI for Wizards' work moving forward. We are revising our process and updating our artist guidelines to make clear that artists must refrain from using AI art generation as part of their art creation process for developing D&D art. Now, since the book was due for launch on the 15th of August, Wizards will not have had the ability to change any art in the print run of the book, though potentially they could change it for future print runs and in digitally available versions. Now, thanks very much to Corey from our Discord for bringing this to our attention. Now, we've talked before about the, the, the fears the art community has over AI-generated art. We've interviewed John Hodgson about this, um, who's a, one of the local RPG publishers for Handiwork Games. He's head honcho there, and he's been an art director in the past as well. And I think, that, I think this one's getting, uh, starting to get very tricky. We talked about this in our Discord quite a bit, and I'd like to play devil's advocate for a little bit. At, at the moment, one of the reasons th- this one was caught was that there were some weird details, like uh, there were like human feet on the wolves and things like that. You know, there were little details caught because it looked weird. But this AI art generation is going to get better, and are artists going to feel compelled to use it in order to sort of stay up to date, to stay in the game for getting commissions and that kind of thing? And if it, an artist that has been with a company for a long time or has been doing art for a company for a long time, like many freelancers do for Wizards of the Coast and lots of big RPG publishers. How are art directors meant to catch all of that? That's going to be really, really difficult, verging on impossible as it gets better. 
And I think we've got, we've got two things here. Obviously, legally, none of this has been tested, whether it's illegal no. or breaking yeah. copyright or not. You know that We're still waiting for, for that to go further. I think there's some cases going through at the moment somewhere in the US, I think. But obviously, if as a publisher you say you, you don't want anyone to use AI uh, tools in their art generation, yeah. um, that's obviously their decision. Take, sure. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But as you say, it makes it hard for them to then police that. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. And, and also, I always think we're talking about AI with so many different tools. Obviously, the controversy is about those tools that have been scanning publicly available but still copyrighted art from uh, professional and, and amateur and whatever creators yeah. uh, using their tools. So they've been trained on, on those. And, and that's where, obviously, we're all concerned that these tools use uh, art that is copyrighted and use it for their own tools and then usually make money out yeah. of that eventually as well. But Sometimes AI tools aren't necessarily those sort of AI tools. So I, I, I do think we have to be a bit more clear on, on what was happening here. I mean, by the sounds of it, it does sound like they were using a tool that was using, you know, had, had been trained on, on available yeah. art. Um, but yeah, I think that the whole issue gets more and more complicated and we need to get some, some clarity here. And also tools inside like desktop publishing programs and Photoshop style programs, things like that. Some of those be considered AI tools, for sure. Some yeah. of the things they, they, those can do. And there's going to, like, some of those companies are going to start using more powerful AI algorithms to make those tools better at some point. That's, I, I kind of feel that's inevitable. At which point, how do you distinguish what's what? It's, it's, going, to get, it's going to get real messy and real complicated. And I think we should be a little less quick to jump down publishers' throats sometimes. And like stand back for a second and think about these things because yeah, it's really really difficult. I'm, I'm hoping to talk to. I'm hoping to have a wee chat with John uh, at Tabletop Scotland that we're going to over this one. I, I didn't have time to contact him before we were recording, but it'd be interesting just to get his perspective on it, just because he's he's done this kind of thing before and he's he's been an art director. Like, so yeah, I'm hoping to have a chat to him about it and maybe get his sort of two cents on it. Anyway, let's get on with a, a little update about Embracer. Embracer Group, the large Swedish holding company that owns quite a lot of the digital gaming world, as well as the behemoth, that is Asmodee, the biggest board game publisher in the world, which itself owns a whole lot of companies. Zedman, Fancy Flight Games, lots of others. Earlier this year, they reported that a $2 billion deal had fallen through, and the consequence of that has been the closure of some computer gaming studios and as of now, it has yet to affect the world of tabletop gaming. But news site Axios reported on August the 14th that the mysterious partner has been revealed as the Saudi Arabian government-funded Savvy Games Group. Now, Embracer has previously had investment from this group, as we reported back in episode 101. And Saudi Arabia has made no secret of its plans to invest heavily in the video game industry. Savvy Gaming Group has a budget of $38 billion to use to that end. And I'd like to say, before any of you chip in, I am shocked about this. Shocked. Well, well, well not that shocked. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've got a vague feeling there was a rumour it was the Sammy Gaming Group that they were doing a deal with back when this deal fell through. I, was, I seem to remember reading that somewhere, but at, at the time it was just rumour, so we didn't report on it. But yeah, Axios have got sort of scoop on that, that it was the Sammy Gaming Group that's fallen through. Yeah. Un unsurprising i'd really like to know why it's actually fallen through what what happened yeah what, what was the trigger because <laughs> we were talking about large amounts of money and 
why did they not come to an agreement when clearly one company is, you know, quite seriously interested in the other one? Especially when they've had investment from Savvy Gaming Group before. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, it, the whole thing seems a bit weird. Now, on to the news. We covered the Zenobia Award extensively during its inaugural season in 2021. But what is this award? The site for the award explains it like this. The Zenobia Award is both a competition and a mentoring program in which game designers from underrepresented groups develop and submit historical tabletop game prototypes. Throughout the design process, competitors will receive mentoring and feedback from industry leaders to help them move towards successful game publication. The Zenobia Award seeks to attract and reward more diverse design talent in order to improve historical tabletop game design and participation, and to diversify historical topics simulated in published hobby board games. It seeks to apply the Derby House principles for diversity and inclusion in professional wargaming to hobby gaming. The Derby House principles are named after the location of the Western Approaches Tactical Unit in Liverpool in World War II. It was staffed by women and men considered unfit for duty at sea through illness and injury. The principles are as follows. First, promoting inclusion and diversity in professional wargaming through the standards we set, the opportunities we offer and access to activities we organise. Second, making clear our opposition to sexism, racism, homophobia and other forms of discrimination across the board as well as in wargaming. Third, encouraging a greater role and higher profile for colleagues from underrepresented groups in our professional activities. Fourth, seeking out and listening to the concerns and suggestions of our colleagues as to how our commitment to diversity and inclusion could be enhanced. And finally, fifth, demonstrating our commitment to diversity and inclusion through ongoing assessment of progress made and discussion of future steps. The award will open its next intake in October of this year. Games must be new and unpublished. The designs must follow the following rules. The design idea must be for a manual tabletop game, board, card, dice, tile lane, miniatures, etc. It must have a closed system rule set that does not rely on role play or referee adjudication to resolve actions and reactions. The design must be rooted in a historical setting from any time up to the present day. It may concern political, social, cultural, scientific, economic, military or any other human affairs in any combination. The game must be playable in under two hours. Longer games with at least one scenario playable in under two hours are eligible and will be judged by that scenario. Decisions will be made on applications roughly two weeks after the window has closed. A full list of rules can be found on the Zenobia Awards site, and there will be obviously a link in the description of the show. Now, the Zenobia Award I always found very interesting, and I think it's great to see that this is continuing and, and obviously the, the mission statement of inclusion and diversity and, and all those things is, is so great to see. Yeah, I, any... I, I love yeah, the on... Zenobia Award. I just yeah. want to say I love the Zenobia Award. I I can't wait to see the new ones this year. Yeah, it's great. I think I cut, I'm sure a couple of the games from last intake that sort of got to the sort of last sort of 10 or so are approaching production or about to be released, something like yeah. that. yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's a really good award, lots of mentorship in there and a really good sort of aim of like diversifying. Like was, a lot of the titles last time were really, really interesting. Even the ones that didn't make sort of finals were like, there's a lot of really interesting sounding games in there. Really I was going to say, just the entries look just exciting yeah. always. So we can't wait to see the list this year. And I think it's yeah. really nice to see that mentorship thing as well in there because yeah. it is so difficult to navigate. Like, how do I take my idea from being an idea into an actual game and what's that process like? So 
Yeah, fantastic. So if anyone's interested, very, very quickly, the winner in first place was Tyranny of Blood. It's a about the Indian caste system under British colonialism during the rise and fall of colonialism and ensuing social displacement. Shape the nation state to your caste's advantage with its own actions and path to victory. Second place was Winter Rabbit. Explore a pre-Columbian economic system based on reciprocity and community need rather than supply and demand. Prepare your Cherokee village for winter as a trickster rabbit of Cherokee lore disrupts your work. And the third place went to Wine Kause. Historians have argued for decades over the function of Machu Picchu, swayed between re-examined evidence and charismatic historians building elaborate myths. Explore this enigmatic wonder and challenge your perception of history. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? I mean, just, just those settings, those themes, everything is just... And then the designers themselves, you know, with their backgrounds and, and the influence they have on the game and, and bring all that together. It's just so exciting. Just you reading this just made me excited and I wanted to play those <laughs> games, you know, it's just it's so great. Yeah, so last time around it was 150 applicants, which was cut down to 46 proposals and then down to the eight finalists and then a group of 14 judges uh, made that uh, made that into the final three. So yeah, fantastic. Yep, yeah, best of luck for everyone applying. It's a really cool thing to do. Put yourself out there for that. Uh, it everyone who applied last time seemed to have a really good time. I know that we always say, you know, oh, you haven't heard the last of it from us, and in many ways, you absolutely haven't, because of course we'll talk about it. But also, I think the Zenobia Award is something that we would like to explore in a little bit uh, deeper way. Yeah, would you I'm say that? Yeah, I'm, I'm planning to reach out to them and say, like, look, we're interested in this as podcast. We'll be reporting on it anyway. Can we get some interviews down the line? That kind of thing as well. So, yeah. Nice. We'll be reaching out to them for sure. Well, talking about inclusivity, um, maybe something else can learn from the Zenobia Awards, Ian? I think Fide can learn a lot of things from basically human beings, maybe. So there has been much discussion in the mainstream sports media over the last few years around the inclusion of trans athletes in events. Now, we're not going to wade in there, of course, but it seems this topic is now appearing in the world of tabletop gaming. Fide is the International Chess Federation. This organization has recently introduced guidelines about transgender competitors. These were originally shared by French transgender Fide master Yosha Iglesias, and we got the story from Substack Erin in the Morning, who reports on transgender issues. The Substack summarizes the changes like this. Transgender men must relinquish their women category titles after transitioning. Transgender women can keep their previous titles. Transgender women have no right to compete in the women's division. Transgender women will be evaluated by the FIDE Council on if they will be allowed to compete in a process that may take up to two years. FIDE can mark transgender players as transgender in their files. Gender changes must be comply with the player's national laws and may include birth certificate documents, despite many nations refusing to change transgender birth certificates. Now, as you might expect, there was much ridicule sent FIDE's way when the policy was announced. Many pointed out that the women's category is nothing to do with ability, but more designed as a way to increase participation in chess among women. Now, frankly, this is beyond ridiculous. These, these regulations imply that members of FI genuinely believe there's a mental difference between men and women to the point that affects your ability to play chess. I mean, what year is it? <laughs> I think it's 2023. This sounds like something from I don't know when, like the Middle Ages. What is going on? This is, this is so, so common now. And let's get this out of the way. Trans rights are human rights. Trans women are women. Trans men are men. Shut your gobs, fight. I mean, yeah, it's, I, it's, it's, what's, what's, what I found fascinating just, just listening to this story is not only do they 
distinguish between men and women. And then they also do that with transgender men and women. So transgender men must relinquish their titles after transitioning and transgender women can keep them. So it's not like all transgender people have to relinquish them or whatever. It's, even yeah. there is just, I mean, just, it goes to the nth degree here, which is absolutely crazy. Now, I'd like to remind our listeners that FIDE are also the organization who back in 2021 approved a breast enlargement company as a sponsor for the Year of Women in Chess, which was 2022. And you'll be unsurprised to find that the majority of the FIDE board are old white men. Not one of their breast decisions. Uh, I, um, yeah, I, I didn't think I'd ever have to Google chess breast on my own site to remind myself where that story came from. At least not without private browsing. I, I don't think they're keeping abreast of the latest um, doors and things, are they? Let's move on, shall we? You've got to keep up to date on it. In recent days, the UK Chess Championships have been taking place in Leicester and drew a strong lineup of competitors, including 30 titled chess masters. Now, there were 63 contestants and five grandmasters in that field. The star of the show, though, was Poli resident Stephen Jones, who took second place in the overall competition. Why is he the star? Stephen Jones was completely unseeded. Over the course of the nine matches he played, Stephen recorded six wins, one draw and two losses. He's a member of the Basingstoke Chess Club. They meet every Wednesday at the Bridge and Chess Club on Sherborne Road, starting from 7.15pm. Fantastic job, Stephen. Really hope you go and do more. And uh, yeah, go and do more and better and greater things. I mean, doing, you know, coming overall second in the UK Chess Championships is amazing. Right, future for that one. Nice. I think the Basingstoke Chess Club is going to get lots more members very soon. Yeah, the, I, the really article hope. I got that from mentioned they were busy. Yes. Good. <laughs> amazing. Well Good. done. Congratulations. Yes. All, all over a little bit of acquisition news. Yes, back in episode 124, we reported on the revival of the Mayfair Games brand by WebSphere Incorporated. This newly revived brand has made its first acquisition in Mr. B Games. Mr. B Games has been around since 2006 and has produced games such as the Killer Bunnies line. John Houston, president of WebSphere Incorporated, said, This acquisition is a strategic step forward in our mission to provide high-quality, engaging games to our customers. Both Mayfair Games and Mr. B Games share a deep commitment to creativity, innovation and customer satisfaction. By bringing these two brands together, we are not only expanding our portfolio, but also strengthening our ability to deliver diverse, exciting experiences to gamers worldwide. The first game from this collaboration will be Kelta Later in 2023, later this year. Mayfair will offer the full Mr. B Games catalogue to retail. Thanks to Sarah Reed from our Discord for bringing this to our attention. So yeah, Mayfair Games is going from strength to strength by the sound of it. Let's see yeah. what comes out. Can't wait. I didn't. I heard about the Killer Bunnies line, but I had actually never played any of those. So. Yeah, I've never played them. I've always seen them at cons. They always seem to be there, like in on various stalls. But yeah, I've never actually played a game, so I have no idea if they're any good. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see, I guess. And uh, yeah. yeah, good luck. Now, moving on to jobs, opportunities, and events. Yes, just a little reminder that the Tabletop Jobs group exists on Facebook. You can get a load of different jobs there uh, across the world. It's mostly US-centric, but there have been a few UK jobs there of recent. And Jamie and I and ex-co-host Ian Chandler will all be at Tabletop Scotland. That's from Friday the 25th to Sunday the 27th of August in the Jura Centre in Perth. 
We'll be playing games, interviewing folk, and we'll also be running the Tabletop Scotland pub quiz. And that's the first time we're going to be running a pub quiz, so that's going to be entertaining. Uh, do, do come along. Uh, we hope to see you there. Do come and say hi if you see us hanging around and tell us what you're up to. And if you're a game designer in South London, then there's a playtesting meetup every Tuesday from 6.30pm to 10pm at the Ludicrous Board Game Cafe in Croydon. They're a welcome community of board game designers and playtesters. You can bring your games in development for feedback, play upcoming games, or just chat about the hobby and the industry. First-time designers, hobby designers, published designers, and publishing companies are all very welcome along. So uh, all the links to that event will be in our show notes. And people who do not need an invitation are our lovely, lovely patrons. Thank you so much for continuing to support us on the cast, especially our executive producers, Kevin Bertram from Four Circle Games, James Naylor from Naylor Games, and Sean Newman from the Game A Lot team. We really appreciate everyone's support. You can join them for only $1 a month on our Patreon. There's various other ways to support us on the site, including direct donations, and we have hookups with Fanroll for uh, Metal Dice and various other accessories there, and Sir Meeple for t-shirts and other sort of giant brain-branded clothing and merchandise. So do check those out, please. I failed in my duties. I don't really have anything interesting or funny for an outro. Uh, I was looking at any Monopoly versions that were coming out soon, and uh, wasn't really anything that well, made we'll, we'll, speak out your about, we'll speak out your, about your evaluation at uh, Tabletop Scotland. Yes, thank you for that link, Ian. Yeah, as a reminder, as Ian said earlier, and just there, we're going to be at Tabletop Scotland. Uh, it's The first time it's going to be over three days at the Dewar Centre. Last couple of times has been absolutely brilliant. There's been wonderful yeah. attendance, lots of wonderful people uh, to see. And as Ian said earlier, again, we're running the pub quiz. Um, I don't know about Ian. This is the first time I've had to put a pub quiz together. So I'm terrified. Yeah, no, idea what, no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> Literally none. You'll be, so, be amazing. So I've with that absolute also, confidence. <laughs> yeah, it'll be all right. <laughs> You're right on the night. Yeah, it will be all right on the night. But, It'll be amazing. Uh, we might even have some prizes, maybe. We might. Oh, my goodness. But, uh, yeah, if you can make it to Tabletop Scotland and you see us there, I think we'll probably be in our uh, red Brainwaves t-shirts. Come say hello. Uh, if you can't make it, that's okay. Just, you know. I can't you, make you, it. I'd love to come, but, you know, have fun without me. Thank, thank you very much, Oliver. You, you will be very much there in spirit. Oh, thank you. And if you do want to go and see us and you have something nasty to say, um, say it to Ian. <laughs> no, or you can say it to me. It's okay. Or you can uh, just not say anything. Just keep your opinions to yourself. You yeah. Know? You can't say something nice, don't say it at all. Yeah. This is a free yeah. country. Yeah, is it? <laughs> easy now <laughs> let's not get political right at the end anyway folks thank you very much for listening if you like if you listen to then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rain on your podcast host of choice uh, you can follow Oliver at tabletopgamesblog.com that's where all of Oliver's writing is and it's very good so please do go and check that out uh, you can come and join our community on our discord there'll be an invite in the show notes our Twitter, while it still exists and is continuing to implode, is uh, at the Giant Brain. Our Instagram is Giant Brain UK, and I am on Threads there, but not very active on that same address. We're on Blue Sky as well. I'm not going to read out that address, but it'll be in the show notes if you want to come and join us there. I'm a bit more active there. Facebook is the Giant Brain. Our website is giantbrain.co.uk, and you can email us about anything in the show or any future news you'd like us to cover at giantbrainuk at gmail.com, and anonymity is guaranteed if you want to speak to us anonymously. Thanks very much for listening, folks. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Look after yourselves, everybody. 
Yeah, take care. Bye. Bye.